0: This year's historically intense El Niño has sparked a region-wide drought that's decimated harvests. The area was already prone to food insecurity, but the extreme nature of this El Niño is causing a humanitarian emergency not experienced in decades. On the line with me to discuss the food crisis in Southern Africa are two officials from the U.S. Agency for International Development, USAID. Dave Hardin is the Assistant Administrator for Democracy, Conflict, and Humanitarian Assistance, and Dina Esposito is a Deputy Assistant Administrator and Food for Peace Director. The two officials discuss some of the root causes of the food crisis and its implications across a number of sectors. We discuss what the U.S. and international response is looking like and why this crisis differs so substantially from a devastating famine that the region experienced 35 years ago. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to check out our archives, get in touch with me, get the app. It's all there. If you're a returning listener, thanks for returning and listening, and please feel free to suggest topics I should cover or people I should interview. I love it when I hear from you guys. All right, now here are Dina Esposito and Dave Hardin of the U.S. Agency for International Development. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube.
1: What we have are extremes in climate conditions, where we have heat, drought, or and you know potentially a follow-on La Niña where we have excess rain, and so all of these are stressors uh, on on the agricultural system, and then of course these stressors spill out into. into the economic and social systems. So overall, right, climate, extreme climate changes, uh, extreme weather, uh, extreme drought, then that has knock-on effects kind of across the board.
0: And sort of to put this current weather phenomenon in context, how extreme is this uh, El Nino and its um, impact on livelihoods in (laughs) Southern Africa?
1: So we have a very sophisticated um, system of of satellite and imagery and and analysts that are able to look at all this. And what we decided is that, or what we've concluded is that this is the worst drought in 35 years, which is actually kind of an interesting data point for me. Because 35 years ago, if you recall, um, and you may not because you're probably not that old, but uh, Southern Africa and the Horn of Africa faced a very severe famine. That was when I first cut my teeth on international work, and I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Botswana. And so when you look at where we were 35 years ago and where we are today, what you see is a tremendous amount of progress, and yet there still are, in this case in Southern Africa, 18 million people that are at severe risk of of food insecurity.
0: Uh, but I haven't yet heard mm-hmm. the word famine, uh, being sort of, uh, invoked to describe a potential consequence of this drought. Is that because there is perhaps sufficient international attention on this issue to, uh, perhaps deter, um, that famine
1: threshold? so we're not in any way um, looking at famine what i was just trying to highlight is in the early 80s where you saw vast um, famine both in the horn of africa and in southern africa uh, and particularly in the horn at that time um, it's a different context now 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 we're we we do have people that are facing um Food insecurity, but we're not looking at the kind of iconic images of the early '80s uh, in terms of of famine at that point. And I think that there, there's a number of reasons for these changes. First of all, the the progress, the development gains that we have made, um, the analytical tools that we've put in place, and the resilience that have been uh, that have been kind of rolled out over the years, are... are dramatically and help uh, dramatically helpful in reducing the risks to vulnerable people um and and so you take a country like botswana where i was a peace corps volunteer 35 years ago they were really struggling with drought uh, and food insecurity and while they are the hosts for SADC and they are kind of leading the appeal, mm-hmm. they actually have systems and structures in place that uh, they can pretty much stand on their own. It's still a shock, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, but it's not it's not the kind of shock that you envisioned 35 years ago. And, and I should say SADC
0: stands for the South uh, Southern African Development Corporation, which is a regional grouping.
1: A community. community. Yeah, community. Um, yeah, so, right. Dina,
0: maybe I, I could turn to you. Can you uh, yeah. um, perhaps uh, describe um, sort of in, in numbers, like how many people are affected by this crisis and what are some of the responses that are being uh, put into place mm-hmm. by USAID and the international community more broadly?
2: So this organization, SADIC, the Southern Africa Development Community, has just uh, hosted an event in Botswana, launching a regional appeal uh outlining the nature of the crisis, and that appeal uh, notes that there are 40 million people impacted by the crisis, uh, and it uh, appeals for uh, over $2 billion, almost $3 billion in, in assistance multi multisectoral, um, that within that 40 million, of course, a subset of those, uh, perhaps 23 million, they say, are in immediate need of humanitarian assistance. And of that 23 million, our famine early warning systems, uh, when we look at food insecurity, we're highlighting 18 million of those people who are going to be in a food security crisis. Uh, we, would not, we do not expect that to reach famine proportions. And that's happening because there have been two consecutive poor droughts, poor uh, cropping seasons in Southern Africa due to drought. Uh, the second one triggered by the advent of the El Nino weather phenomenon. That means many of these folks who are rural uh, farmers have not had uh, on-farm production to feed themselves, and their labor opportunities to farm other people's lands are also diminished because the large farms have also had poor cropping seasons. Um, the lack of water is having kind of strange knock-on effects. If you think about, well, a school can't be open if they don't have any water. Uh, in the school or a hospital can't provide services if they don't have water. Um, there's concern about folks um, with HIV AIDS unable to take their medicines without food and water. So there are a whole range of health dimensions that come into play when you have this kind of uh, historic drought, as they put it, it's a historic drought the worst drought
0: in, in 35 years in Southern Africa, affecting millions of people. Mm-hmm. So a few weeks ago, I uh, was speaking with the World Food Program uh, Director, Ertherin Cousin, who mm-hmm. uh, made uh, the the point that um, intervention now would help stave off a crisis that is expected to get much worse come October when the rainy season sets in and harvesting, whatever harvest has been collected is, is complete how bad do you expect this food crisis to get in the coming months and what are some of the possible scenarios uh, over the next uh, several months of how this might play out
2: so we believe that these number this projection of 18 million people in facing crisis food insecurity will be the peak of the crisis in the january to march period of 2017 The harvests come in around April, May, which means that through these summer months, those who did eke out some form of harvest are living off of that, beginning to think about planting. Assistance is ongoing, but it's really as people run out of those stocks that were recently harvested and we get into uh, the fall, September, October, November, and into the next six months that we'll see the most acute nature Um, of this crisis and the reason we need to respond now is if you need to move food assistance you need to do it early so we need to get food in place and and food is moving in but more of that needs to move in as the numbers grow and we need to have uh, support for seed systems those farmers who were not able to harvest are going to have a difficult time accessing seed so in concert with governments and our partners implementing partners we want to be sure seed is distributed so that they can plant so that when the harvest comes in next April, May, we have moved quickly beyond this shock and into a rapid recovery. We're hopeful for good rains because of the weather transitions that are going on in southern Africa. And if we can get short-term food assistance combined with seeds and support for livestock recovery, we can hopefully see a very rapid bounce back from this crisis. Uh,
0: and. So, to that end, you mentioned earlier that uh, SADC had put out an appeal. Um, who is contributing to that appeal and how will – there always seem to be inevitable gaps in the amount of funding requested and the amount of funding that is actually dispersed for these humanitarian crises. Um, what sort of gap are you expecting?
1: we have a total of $300 million that's, um, that has been pledged. We just pledged, uh, $127, $127 million. Um, uh, yesterday, so that that brings us up to 300 million, and we um, and so you know we, we feel like that this is a big and and, and serious commitment. Um, by the way, this also connects into our development missions writ large, right? So it's not only the humanitarian assistance here, but we have USAID missions all across Southern Africa that are engaged in in the resilience uh, component of what we're doing, and of course we're working closely with our the other major. major Major donors: Diffid, EU, the um, Swiss, and we are hoping that our our pledge, our announcement just the other day, will be um, leveraged to get additional donors to to chip in. So that that's that's kind of the plan, and that's where we're going.
2: In terms of our assistance, that th- those resources are uh, allowing us to ship more than a hundred thousand tons of food so far this year into the region. Our support is uh, in some cases doubling or tripling in some of the most worst affected countries. And that that food assistance um, is mostly coming from the United States because there is a a serious deficit of food in the region because the drought has affected almost all of these countries in southern Africa. So there's a food normally, and it's an exporting region. It's an importing region right now. Uh, But things like sorghum, yellow split peas, vegetable oil, Specialized food products to treat malnutrition. All of these are part of our support, as well as support for um, agricultural early recovery, water sanitation, um, wash, and hygiene type programs.
0: Um. So, uh, David, so these sort of extreme climate events seem to be coming with greater frequency um, as a consequence of of climate change. So, I have to imagine. Uh, climate-induced humanitarian emergencies might become more of a regular feature of our global landscape in the years to come. How is uh, USAID preparing for this, this future?
1: So I'm I'm not going to uh, speculate exactly what you know what the landscape looks like in terms of uh, extreme weather in in the future. But what what I will note is that we've kind of adopted a, a agile capability that would allow us to respond in advance of um, crises, and we saw this. Um, in Ethiopia earlier in the year, and, and, and this is kind of the goal here for Southern Africa. But as we look at our FEWS net and the satellite imagery, what we're able to do is kind of predict where crises may occur, and then we take preventive action. Then, then we, we mobilize the funds, we mobilize the food stocks, we preposition uh, you know, people and commodities, and we work it through in a way that... Um, that allows us to get ahead of the real risks, and I do think uh, more generally as we continue to adapt and learn on how to respond to these crises that that um, that understanding will make us better as we go forward and and we have uh, climate resilience teams uh, you know in the agency and throughout that are helping us hone in on this the The main point here though is the proof is in. The differences between 35 years ago and today, right? If, if you want to look at the stark progress on, on crisis response, that's that's the uh, answer. Um, and and one
0: of those innovations, one of the projects, is something that you just referenced, FuseNet, which is the famine early warning system network. Um, Correct. Uh, could you, or, or perhaps Dina, to conclude, describe what that innovation is, how it works, and how you are relying that to plan your response to this crisis?
2: Sure. So, Famine Early Warning System Network was actually cre- created during because of the famine in Ethiopia and in West Africa in the mid-'80s. Um, and, of course, we know in Ethiopia more than a million people lost their lives as a result. And that system... Uh, has relies on both, uh, uh, technology like you heard about satellite imagery, uh, looking at crops and, and waterfall, but also has people on the ground who are doing regular food security assessments and building the capacity of host countries and working in partnership with the UN and NGOs to issue, uh, regular reports on food security. And we focus on those that are the most famine prone countries in the world. So we still have data. We still monitor closely the Horn, West Africa, Southern Africa. Every month, the Famine Early Warning System networks uh, presents. Actually, it's a public good that they come in and speak to AID about where they perceive to be the most food insecure places uh, six months from from that month out. And that way, we can plan ahead six months ahead if we need to ship food, if we need to buy food locally, if we want to establish voucher type programs. They're able to tell us where the food deficits are going to be based on crops, imports, pricing. Uh, they do do a lot of market uh, monitoring. And that is what we use to make some assessments about where we not need to prioritize our food security intervention.
0: All right. Well, Dina and Dave, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Alrighty, thank you all for listening. And just one quick plug: if you have not already, and I suspect many of you have, uh, do sign up for my global humanitarian news clips service, Dawn's Digest. That's D A W N S Digest dot com. We serve up the most important, most relevant global humanitarian news as curated by myself and my partner, the blogger Tom Murphy, to your inboxes every morning. So check it out. There's a link on globaldispatchespodcast.com. I'll see you later. Bye.